Um, my name is Grant. I'm part of the team at Christ Church, and it's my joy to welcome you to this wonderful occasion. It's about much more than just sentimentality and tradition. It is actually about Jesus, and that's a key thing that we want to put front and center. It's been part of the songs that we've sung and part of the readings that we've had. I want to um, focus, Johan, if we could just have Luke uh, 2, verses 13 and 14 up on the, on the screen. Um, remember, we read and we sung about this. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want you to, for a moment, imagine that you were a shepherd on that hill, minding your own business, looking after the sheep, and suddenly those angels appeared. Let me tell you a story. Every, ever since he could remember, Larry Walters had wanted to fly. After high school, he joined the Air Force, but his poor eyesight disqualified him from getting his wings. After his discharge, he became a truck driver, but in 1982, he came up with a scheme to satisfy his lifelong passion. He bought 45 weather balloons, tied them to his lawn chair, filled the balloons with helium, and strapped himself to the lawn chair, armed with a pack of peanut butter sandwiches, six beers, and a pellet gun. And his plan was alarmingly simple. The cord anchoring the lawn chair to his car would be severed, and Larry would float lazily up to about 30 feet where he'd enjoy a few hours of flight before coming back down to earth, which he would do by shooting the balloons with his pellet gun one by one, and his plan was to gently... But things, as you can imagine, did not work out as Larry had planned. When his friends cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, Larry did not float lazily up to 30 feet, nor to 100 feet, nor to 1,000 feet. He streaked into the LA sky as if shot from a cannon, pulled by the lift of 45 helium balloons, each containing 33 cubic feet of helium. And so he leveled off eventually at 16,000 feet. It's a true story. At this stage, Larry was nervous at the thought of popping the balloons. <laughs> it took about 14 hours. He managed to pop two balloons, and then he dropped the pellet gun. <laughs> and eventually it kind of came down after about 14 hours, after drifting into the approach corridor of the Los Angeles airport, <laughs> spotted by a Pan Am pilot. Now. The, the part of the story that astounds me is, wouldn't you have loved to have heard the conversation between the pilot and the air traffic control? <laughs> Trying to convince the air traffic control officer that he had just passed a guy on a deck chair, <laughs> eating a peanut butter sandwich at 16,000 feet. A very strange sight in a most unexpected place. I think that's how the shepherds must have felt. A strange sight in an unexpected place. That really, uh, in a sentence, is a good summary, actually, of the Christmas story, the Christmas event that we are here to remember, sing about, hear about, and celebrate. Um, let's have that verse up again, Johan. It's every beauty queen's dream. Suddenly, 
a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Every beauty queen's dream, peace on earth. Christmas cards, peace on earth. It's, it's what the world wants. It's what the United Nations work towards every year. It's what every one of us in this room would love to see, especially at the end of a year full of war and new wars and old wars that have started up and continued. We want world peace. And Christmas seems like a good opportunity to put world peace on the agenda. Why don't we put our differences aside? Why don't we come together? Let's lay down our weapons and for a moment celebrate and be united and let's commit ourselves to peace on earth. After all, isn't that what the Christmas message is about? It's what the angels sang. If you didn't know any better, you might think that the true meaning of Christmas is the absence of war. But actually, the coming of Jesus could never be more misunderstood as being about politics here and now. The abiding mistake that the disciples made all throughout Jesus' life was thinking that he was about to bring peace on earth for the nation of Israel against her sworn enemy, the Romans. And yet, they didn't listen properly to Jesus. He kept telling them that that was not his purpose. Look at these verses from Luke chapter 12 and from verse 51, which should be on the screen. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? Jesus saying to his disciples, No, I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus' words. If you were here this morning, you'll remember that we had a look at the beginning of the ministry of John the Baptist. He had a very different ministry, for his ministry was to bring the sons and the fathers back together, to unite them together. That was his ministry, but not Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry was to bring division. He never promised to bring the kind of peace that is the absence of war. Jesus can bring strife into a family, can't he? A wife becomes a follower of Jesus and a husband doesn't. causes trouble. Uh, we've had some students who have become real Christians, serious about the Lord Jesus, who have gone home and realized that actually their parents were just nominal Christians, not nearly as serious, and it causes trouble. It causes strife. It can cause division. I want to say to you this evening, dear friends, I won't be much longer at all, is that Jesus brings peace, but it is a much more important peace than the absence of war. It is peace with Almighty God. That is what the angels are declaring in that strange and unexpected sight. It is a dangerous assumption to make that we are somehow automatically at peace with God. The Bible never allows us to think like that. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says that unless something happens, God is our enemy. He's not everybody's father. He is everybody's creator. He is everybody's judge. But until something has happened, he is actually our natural-born enemy. And the reason for this is that we have treated God appallingly. 
I spoke to a student a few months ago who came to a service and afterwards came and had a chat to me. Not a Christian, not pretending to be a Christian. I loved his openness and his honesty, and I welcomed it, and we had a great chat. He said to me, yeah, you know, I'm not a Christian, but when I'm in trouble, I pray. I said, oh, really? Don't you hate it when people treat you like that? They only talk to you when they want something from you? See, that is how we have treated God. We might not be shaking our fist in his face. This student wasn't. But we ignore him and we use him. And we only talk to him when we want something from him. And when he doesn't give it to us, we get angry with him because he hasn't given us what we think is our due. That is an appalling way to treat anybody, not least the great creator of the heavens and the earth. And as a result, God is not our natural father, he is our natural enemy. It's a bit of a downer after such a wonderful evening. But you know, you can't actually understand the good news of Christmas until you've understood the bad news. And the good news of Christmas starts with the bad news. For having God as your enemy is a much bigger problem than having another country declare war on you. I've got a friend called Johnny who I met many, many years ago, who walked to South Africa from the DRC with two friends to escape war. He grew up in Goma, and Goma is a very unstable place on, the, on our continent. And he and his friends literally walked to South Africa. His one friend was killed by terrorists on the way. His other friend was killed by a lion on the way, which he watched. And he landed in Durban where we were living and became part of our family, part of our church, and I'm glad to tell you has gone on to live a full and a wonderful life. But you can escape war, but you can't escape God, for God is everywhere. Where will you go to escape him? And so Jesus has come to bring that kind of peace, uh, not so much a horizontal peace, which seems ever elusive, but a vertical peace with God. And this Christmas, that peace is again held out to you. There is another opportunity tonight for you to seek that kind of peace, peace between us and God. The Christmas story is not about God drawing near to us in judgment and anger. It is about God drawing near to us to save us. The peace that the angels are heralding is friendship with a holy God. And that is why we need Jesus to rescue us. It's an interesting thing. All religions in the world sense that God needs to be appeased. That's why religions make sacrifices and go through rituals and uh, do certain things, activities, and pray and go on pilgrimages and live by certain ethics and give up certain things and believe certain principles so that they can appease God and get into heaven. But that is not what the Bible teaches. Quite the opposite. Instead of us trying to climb our way to heaven, earning brownie points as we go, instead of people doing all sorts of religious things to try to reach up to a distant God, in a faraway place, heaven has come to us. That's the meaning of Christmas. Jesus said it in John chapter 6, For I have come down from heaven, 
not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Our theme this Christmas, this December, is an uncommon king. Jesus is an uncommon king. For since when does a king run after people that don't want him as their king? There is no human king like Jesus, the great king of kings, unwanted by those that he made, who condescends to come to earth from heaven, not to destroy or conquer, which he would have every right to do, but to seek and to save and to draw us into friendship with his father. That is a king more concerned about his people than about himself. That's a king I can follow. That's a king I want to be ruled by. A king like no other human king. And so, friends, Christmas reminds us that the birth of Jesus is God's offer of a peace treaty. And I want to ask you this evening to not turn your back on that offer, to not sentimentalize Christmas. It's good for the kids. It is good for the kids, but it's good for you too. For it's news of peace and friendship with God. You do need to receive it, though. It's not automatically conferred on everyone who attends church on Christmas Day or at a carol service. It needs to be accepted and asked for. And so here is a prayer on the screen that you can make your own in the privacy of your own heart. If you'd like to accept Jesus and enter into the peace that was announced by the angels that night. It says, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to make peace between us. I want that peace. Please forgive my sin and bring me into friendship with you. I'm going to just give us a moment of relative quiet with the under threes in the, in the house. And it might be that you want to just make that your own for a moment. And then I'll close for us and we'll sing our final song. So let's just bow our heads for a moment. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to make peace between us. I want that peace. Please forgive my sin and bring me into friendship with you. Father, how wonderful it is that though we have treated you appallingly, you have sent Jesus into this world to bring peace between us. And we pray this Christmas time that you would help us to cut through all of the trappings that go with Christmas and to hear that message, the heart of it, and to respond rightly to you. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.